Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the Seminole Wrap. I'm Brian Pellerin with a bonus episode for you here as we enter the start of the FSU season. And to me, I think it's a pretty cool episode we've got here. We've had our FSU season preview, our LSU previews with the usual crew. We launched our new college football picks and DFS podcast dropping each Friday. So go ahead and give that a listen. Uh, but this time we got a pretty big time guest, I think. You, you may know him from his time playing football at Notre Dame. Maybe his ESPN radio show. Maybe love of Taylor Swift or the Bachelor franchise on Twitter or X. Uh, he's Mike Golick Jr., host of the Gojo Show and the Draft DraftKings Network, as I lost my own breath there. Uh, and now a pod with his dad, Gojo and Golick. Mike, man, thanks for jumping on. Thanks for making time. We appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate you having me and appreciate you taking the extra effort to actually even in passing refer to it as X. I am still lazy. I've said <laughs> I'm not, it's like that line in Step Brothers. I'm not going to call him dad, not even if there's a fire. I'm not going to call it X. It's going to be Twitter until that website crashes and burns for me. We're, we're quickly running toward crashing and burning. But before I end up with a thousand, <laughs> a thousand comments on why it's going to be better now or whatever, I'll just move on. Um, first things first, I, I gave you a little bit of a warning for this one. It's an FSU pod. There's certainly love lost between FSU and Notre Dame, I guess, roughly. Um, you say there isn't on your end. Why, why, why should they care what you think? Why, why are you not just some Notre Dame hater here to just ruin the parade? I, I, I guess I don't know what reason I have to be a hater. I mean, I get that <laughs> Notre Dame and Florida State are both big brands in college football. Maybe there's some uh, hate coming the other way because of all the ACC stuff. I feel like yeah. ACC powers in general are probably not happy with Notre Dame right now. Probably never have been happy, but that's not my fault. I mean, I played Florida State once when I was in college. It was in uh, – it was in the Champ Sports Bowl in Orlando, and we gave up a 14-point fourth-quarter lead to the E.J. Manuel-led Knowles. So I obviously didn't love that, but I had a great time with a couple of those guys. I got to play with you know Vince Williams and a couple other guys from that defense after the fact, my brief stop in the NFL. So I, I always enjoyed uh, Florida State. I got to call a couple of their games at ESPN, too. And you know, with this regime, I, I saw them – and I would argue the lowest moment of the Mike Norvell era. They lost to Louisville at home to go 0-4 for the first time since like 1971 or 1974 back in 2021. And I remember people calling for Norvell's job left and right. I remember what the tone and tenor around the program was. And I had gotten to go – we got to go watch practice that Friday. And they were 0-3 at that point. And I remember looking to Anish Shroff, who was my play-by-play, -play, Taylor McGregor, who was our sideline, and saying – 
I've been on teams that have lost a bunch of games at the beginning of the season. This doesn't feel like that. The energy at practice, the way that they were attacking that on a Friday didn't feel like a team that was already woe is me and down on their luck. And I thought back then that was a real testament to Mike Norvell and his ability to stay on message, to keep this team believing into what he was selling them at that point without necessarily the results to back it up. And we've seen, especially going through the season last year, the results finally arrived. And so now the expectations have ratcheted up. So I I don't know. I feel like I've had a front row seat to this current regime's rise to where they're at now, which is being talked about in the same breath as Clemson this season. Yeah, that's pretty much right where I was going to go with this Norvell thing. And I'll I'll start just on Norvell specifically. Um, you talked about practice, the positivity. He just he he gives off this almost, and I hate to use the comparison, but but like a, a Ted Lasley, just everything is positive. Just we're gonna just keep getting one percent better every day, and it's in everything. How how impactful can that be on a locker room? Yeah, I, I think if it's something you haven't gotten before, and you know, guys come from all different kind of coaching styles in high school, you get guys coming from the portal now and if you get a coach that every day is not only saying, but backing up, hey, I love you, I care about you, we're going to focus on this today. If you've got someone whose actions match the word, that matters a lot as a player because I want to know if I can trust you as a coach. I, you know, I, I've seen and been around plenty of coaches who will say one thing and when the going gets tough, they're in cover their own ass mode. And I've been around coaches who even have coached me harder than I've ever been coached, but knew they wanted us to be the absolute best that we could be, cared a lot about it, had a lot of pride in us, had a lot of pride in the room. And when you've got a coach that believes in you like that and you see how hard they work, then it makes you go, all right, well, what's my excuse? I'm going to go out there and give them my all because I believe that's going to give me the best chance to have personal success and us the best chance to have team success. So that message staying consistent even when things are going poorly because listen you're always going to adjust you can't you know the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results but when you know your process can yield results and if you're Mike Norvell you've seen that happen at Memphis before he got here and you've seen it happen elsewhere in your career and it's just a matter of getting the other right things in place that you need to make a program successful sticking with that even when the going gets tough and not worrying about am I going to get fired? Am I in danger? That sends a message to a player that says, all right, I know what he's here for. It's the same thing I am. Let's go to work. He's certainly on the rise along with the program. I guess what's his national perspective? I mean, obviously he, we were talking even last season about if he doesn't make a bowl game, it's a hot seat kind of conversation, but uh, to spin around to a 10 win year, I guess what, what is the perception? He's not in the same breath as a smart, uh, a Kelly, a Saban, but um, I guess, he certainly seems like one of the up-and-coming coaches. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of respect there. And I think there was, you know, around college football, even when he was making that jump up to Florida State, this idea that he was always one of the next coaches we expected to make that jump from the group of five to the power five. But now to see, especially for the areas Florida State was deficient when he got there, right? It's the biggest jump in my mind from G5 to P5 is along the lines of scrimmage. It's can you block people up front and can you stop it on the other side? And the way that him, Coach Atkins, have rebuilt this Florida State offensive line, the guys and bodies we've seen on the defensive side of the ball, I think that as much as anything increases your profile. And to weather that kind of storm, I do think there's the other part of this where people saw how low Florida State was a couple of years ago. And to see a coach not lose himself and that maintain that focus and be able to lead them here, I think there's a lot of respect nationally for what Mike Norvell has done. 
And I'd imagine that's even doubly in coaching circles because, man, if there's one thing coaches know, you usually don't get that chance to turn it around. And so I'm sure there's a lot of people that are heartened to see a guy at a big-time program like Florida State get the chance to see his vision through and it pay off on the other side because that's one of those things, copycat sport that we play in football, other people seeing that and going, all right, maybe if I think I've got the right guy, I can stick with him through some growing pains and get to this other side where things can be pretty damn good. We've talked about the the idea of this program being a, a lose a lot, lose a little. And then last year we talked about it being the win a little year. And then it somehow became the win a lot year. And now they're facing huge expectations. The conversation is 10 wins almost as the floor now for this team based on their schedule. They won ACC championship game. They're talking college football playoff. Do you think that's something that can can stick that quickly? Does it need to be a, a prove it? Or, or can you make that kind of very quick, almost two-year turnaround? I think in this day and age, it's a lot easier to make more of a turnaround like that just because the portal offers you something different. And every program's operating on different tiers with that. You know, what we saw with USC and LSU last year, what programs like that have been able to do supercharging their roster as soon as a new staff comes in because of the rules that are available to coaches and players alike now, I think it does make it easier. And Florida State's a team that has worked well in the portal. And, you know, this year's no exception with Keon Coleman and Jaheim Bell. You know, you go back to Jared Verse being a guy coming from Albany. Like, you can address key areas of your roster. But I think the reason why we're talking about such a high floor is with all of that, in a world in college football right now that's so defined by turnover, the fact that you are returning a bunch of starters, the fact that you are bringing back coordinators, head coach, starting quarterback who's a veteran in college football, you get a, you get to have an old team in key areas, and I think that goes a long way for people's trust at a time where every year now it feels like we're kind of trying to project out these Franken rosters of portal players, quarterbacks that have gone off from all these different rooms, plugging into different systems. There's a familiarity and a comfort here with what you've got on campus right now. And I think that's why for a lot of people, we look and go, all right, it's all been laid out there. It went pretty well that last year. And you've got enough continuity to be able to try and address some of the things that were issues for you and take that next step. You mentioned the the veteran leadership at quarterback. Jordan Travis is getting the Heisman hype and, and Florida State was quick to start that. And even in January, um, you also mentioned that practice back in 2011, I think it was. I mean, at that time, I think we were talking of whether or not Jordan should keep this job. And here we are two years later entering the year as a Heisman guy. Obviously, he's kind of got to unseat Caleb Williams, though voter fatigue may do that its own. But I guess what what can Jordan do? Are you a Jordan believer? I think Jordan is the most electrifying athlete playing the position in college football right now. I mean, we've got good runners in college football on a number of different spots. Jaden Daniels, the quarterback they're going to see in week one, is certainly up there. But there just aren't a lot of guys that move like Jordan in space. And, and I think that makes him so special and deadly, especially in college football where the threat of your quarterback's legs are always up there. But, yeah, I, I think this is a guy we talked about with Mike Norvell. They have similar paths, right? You had to weather the storm a little bit. That game I talked about. He didn't start that game. Mackenzie Milton started that game against Louisville. You know, that 21 season, I believe, was the Notre Dame game at the beginning of that season where Jordan got pulled at the end of that game when Mackenzie yeah. was coming back off of injury. So this is a guy who has the maturity of knowing, all right, I've been through a bunch of highs and lows here. How can I be steady for my team? 
on the field, like I mentioned, electric as a mover, great deep ball touch. That was an explosive offense last year. A lot of different flavors of ice cream at receiver. Johnny Wilson coming back this year. I know Keon Coleman has looked good in camp too. So I think for him, that's a big part of it. And then, you know, having the opportunity and you can start the things that you need as far as you mentioned, voter routine, the human elements of a Heisman Trophy. You start with one of the best games in college football we'll have all season with them in LSU week one. You've got the Clemson matchup, which could be a top 10 matchup still by the time they get there. We'll see what Miami shakes out like this season. Florida at the end of the year. You've got those opportunities and opponents along the way that are going to get enough national attention to where if you go out and you play the way you're capable of doing, then people are going to notice. If you look at at that week one game, that, that LSU-Florida State game, um, in terms of it being that highlight spot, I hear it a lot from from the Florida State people in in the group chats in the comment section. Uh, LSU is still favored there. Do you do you have a read on maybe why that is? Or, or, or yeah, I, I'm kind of with you that I think this is more or less a coin toss game and it being a very interesting one. But a lot of them point to last year and say, "Well, we could have won by two or scores or three scores if we didn't just fumble at the goal line." Sure, I think part of it is respect for what LSU ended up morphing into by the end of the season and an understanding of the talent on that roster, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Now, I know they lost one of their star D linemen for the game on just an absolute garbage NCAA ruling, which is sort of par for the course for that organization. But, you know, advantage Florida State on that at least. But incredibly talented defense like Florida State, bringing back same quarterback and offensive coordinator and Mike Dembrock he got to work with all last year. And the fact that they got to Atlanta in year one in the toughest conference in college football, the SEC's king, and they managed to win the West, which has been up until the last few years when Georgia's flipped the script, the Thunderdome division in college sports. And so I would imagine there's a lot of respect for that when it comes to how people have viewed this game nationally, just because like you said, for Florida State, you know, things got got ahead, but still, you know, was the loss to Clemson, Clemson ultimately still sitting atop this conference, some people feel like, whereas LSU, well, yeah, they got clubbed like a lot of other people when they faced Georgia, still accomplished a lot in that conference to get to a conference championship game in year one of that new regime. You mentioned Clemson a bunch, and I'll go there next. It feels like for the last couple of years, we've been uh, prescribing their downfall, and Dabo doesn't know the portal and all these kinds of things, man. But they're still sitting atop, and it feels like you got to kind of knock them off. Is is this a year they actually do slide? Is this a year that they should still be the, the top of the table until someone actually takes them off? I think at this point they've earned the right to still maintain that king of the hill mentality. Cause like you said, even in their worst years, they're winning 10 games still like Dabo for all the questions we have and myself included about, can you weather the storm? If Cade Klubnik is anything less than the next you know, second coming of Christ, because that's basically what they've had at quarterback. They've had that kind of talent in that position going all the way back to Taj Boyd. That's just how yeah. they've lived. And so if you don't have perfect talent at that position, if you don't have, the next group of NFL wide receivers the way they had for so long when you were going through the Justin Rosses, T. Higgins, you know, Sammy Watkins, on and on down the list there. How does it function? Garrett Riley, they're hoping is a big answer to that question. What we saw him do last year for TCU seems prescriptive for some of the things that Clemson fans felt like were ailing them on offense in recent years. Because defensively, while they lost, you know, the coordinator that's a weapon in college football and Brent Venables, they still got tons of talent on that side of the ball and I think are expected to really have that be the thing that carries them through. So I would say in the interim, they are rightly still seen as the king of the hill in the ACC. 
But I think this is the critical juncture where questions get answered about, all right, based on their approach to the portal, based on the turnover they're finally having at the coordinator spots, and based on some question marks around positions that had been sure strengths for them for so long, can they maintain this? So far, the answer has been yes, and so that's why they get the benefit of the doubt. Is there any other team in the ACC that you think could push Florida State for that first or one of one of the two of those teams, I guess, for that top two spot? Is it a Miami, uh, maybe Pitt, Louisville for some reason, I guess, has a very uh, easier path there that comes up every, every so often, maybe an NC State or, or Drake May in North Carolina, I guess. Shouldn't leave them out. Yeah, I think there's a pretty big distance in my time, in my mind, between Clemson, Florida State, and the rest of the conference now. You know, Phil Dracovic going over to Pitt, who's always been, you know, as a Notre Dame fan, and I know the full cast crew always jokes about the Pitt super weapon. The minute <laughs> you think about sleeping on that team, because again, they're built in ways that are replicable, right? They're recruiting to a certain style on the defensive side of the ball that makes life a living hell for people offensively they're always going to have an offensive line that's pretty top-notch the year we saw them win the ACC they just decided to add offense to the mix and really kickstart the party we'll see if this version of them can win I still have questions about North Carolina just because I want to see them stop someone on defense before I'm going to get too excited Drake May's an incredible player legitimate Heisman candidate legitimate conversation between him and Kayla Williams for the number one overall pick but Losing Josh Downs, relying on portal receivers now to come in and offset the loss of the only consistent weapon on that offense last year and offensive and defensive lines that were a lot more question marks than answers last year. I think they, you know, they get Tamari Fox back this year on the D-line, which will be big for the interior. They've got some dudes there that are certainly talented, especially at the linebacker level, but the numbers and the results were what they were last year, and I just don't think right now you can win like that at this level of football. So – I've got questions in some of those spots, but I think right now it is decidedly Clemson, Florida State, and then we're waiting to see, hey, you know, an NC State does Anai matching up back again with Brennan Armstrong produce the same results that we saw at Virginia a couple of years ago and get you back that player who can be a difference maker like that because if he is, we know Dave Doran's always had defense locked down even with a lot of the turnover at linebacker this year to be a contender, albeit if it's felt like that's had a ceiling for them. Mocked relentlessly last year for being a Brennan Armstrong truther. So that that's a, it, hopefully it's a comeback <laughs> around. Maybe, maybe it works out for me this year. I don't know. It, it didn't work like great last year. A couple, couple more and I'll get you out of here. The, uh, if there's an area on Florida State's team that I, mean, I didn't ask you about that fans should be excited about, I guess, what is it? Who is it? Uh, well, I mean, I, I, I mean, and fans are well acquainted with this one. I, I'm fascinated to see what it looks like with Jaheim Bell, just because I got to cover him at South Carolina a lot for some of the really good games. You know, I had the Duke's Mayo Bowl. I had somewhere. I think he owns the two best receiving days by a tight end in South Carolina history. But it felt like sometimes that production was hot and cold for a guy who is not a traditional inline guy. They used in a variety of different ways there. He got running back touches. He can do so much for you because he's a really dynamic athlete. I want to see in an offense that's one of the best in college football and manufacturing big plays. How does Florida State use a body type and a skill set like his inside this offense that worked so well last year? Maybe he helps out. I mean, you're looking at the one area where Florida State really struggled, I think, in 2022 was in the red zone. You know, for all the things this offense did well, if they were just an average wet red zone team, we might have been talking about a season with an even higher floor. And so having a guy like that, an offensive line that certainly, like we said, continued to improve, 
those are all things that maybe when you get in that area can start to be an asset in a way that changes the tide. The the big panic button, if there if there is one, seems to be is the offensive line going to remain good post Dylan Gibbons leaving and and what that looks like. Obviously, Alex Adkins has done a fantastic job in in doing that as it is. My question on that is, I guess, what do you know about uh, the offensive line? But how do you even talk about good offensive line play? Like, it seems like no one's good at it. What What, what is the key? What if I'm trying to figure it out? What am I looking for? What you're looking at with good offensive line play, like at, at a general level, especially because most fans are just watching the TV copy of stuff, like does the wall of your color go forward or backwards, right? Like is there a bunch of the other team's color bleeding in? Are you giving up penetration? in pass protection when other teams, and this is going to come up a lot when you play a team like Clemson, but the best offensive lines are one that see things all on the same page and then can execute based off that. To me, the most obvious area that that shows up that people can see is when you're passing off stunts in games. So when you get D linemen and linebackers moving around at the line of scrimmage, the way a team like Clemson loves to do, the way a team like NC State will do often too is your group preventing easy penetration up the middle? That tells me they've been coached well enough to understand what you need to stop, and they've seen it, recognized it well enough together to communicate and work through it before they even execute. So I think that's an easy way for it to sit up there, but it, it really is difficult, like you said, to sort of legislate that on the fly. But you know, like you said, you, you lose Dylan Gibbons, who is a really good player, I like Maurice Smith a lot at center. I think he's a really rock-solid player in the middle of that line. And listen, the easiest path to the quarterback's right up the middle. So if you start there and work your way out, then usually life can be pretty good. Any other concerns? Anything else I didn't ask you about just kind of generally on this team? No, I, I think we we hit most of it. I mean, it's going to be a fascinating season to see if now for Florida State, who seemed to develop more consistency over last year outside of that you know middle-of-the-season bump in the road here, involving Clemson can they take that next step and then can it be made sustainable once you know the quarterback that's been at the helm of a lot of this in the last couple of years departs the program but no as far as this season I I think if nothing else it could be a really fun football team to watch like they were fun last year having a quarterback that creates like that having an offense that goes bombs away instead of wanting to win in three yards in a cloud of dust that's fun people should enjoy that and so the fact that you know, I mean, God, we didn't even get to the Trey Benson part of all this, too. God, what a fun <laughs> dude to watch run. That's certain, like the offensive line thing that goes hand in hand, especially in college. I know we have sorts of debates about running back value in the NFL and stuff like that, but in college, where the line play is markedly different than the NFL in terms of quality, a really good running back can help your line so much and set guys up to make blocks easier make guys miss in the backfield and erase the mistakes of the group in front of them. Having a guy that talented in the backfield combined with a quarterback that can move around there. Like I've played for pocket passers and I've played for mobile guys and the give and take that comes with both is, Hey, with a mobile guy, every once in a while, you're going to hold the ball really long because he's going to be trying to make a great play. He's going to be buying time back there. But other times you might whiff on a guy up front. He's going to make that guy miss for you. And all of a sudden make us live to see another down make that big play downfield, take off and get scramble yards the way we know Jordan's adept to. So there are so many advantages built in when you've got a quarterback that can move like that, provided with a dynamic running threat that run and pass make life so much easier for the guys up front. And schematically, you know, I've seen some of the clinics that Coach Atkins has been a part of here, what they do with, you know, the RPO game, the read option game, especially with their pulling Florida State's, I think one of the best counter teams in college football, they run 
that guard tackle counter really well. They get pullers on the move because they've got good athletes up front. And so presenting that to an opposing defense gives you so much to work with as an offense. I'll let you have the floor. Anything you want to plug, man? Uh, Gojo and Golik, uh, me and my dad got a, we'll call it like a rebrand, relaunch of a show that we've been doing for a while now, starting uh, week one of college football season over on uh, DraftKingsNetwork.com, Samsung TV Plus. You can check it on the DraftKings YouTube page as well as wherever you get your podcasts. But we're 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. We're going to podcast both hours and we're going to try and have some fun. I mean, I, I got to do a show with my dad towards the end of my time at ESPN and it's one of the coolest things, if not the coolest thing I've ever gotten to do professionally. And so we got a chance uh, together again with a really good partner in DraftKings to go out there and, uh, you know, try not to kill each other uh, on the big stage there when we get to argue about the same things we argue when we were kids. Or I was a kid and he was an adult trying to tell me <laughs> what to do. He's one of the most fun guys in college football. Uh, I don't know, talking heads. Is that what we, is, is you okay with that term? Is that fine? Yeah, I don't want to go traffic cops. Gas bag, talking head, all that stuff. It <laughs> all works. I mean, I've been called so many worse things by offensive line coaches. Nothing you say can hurt me. Yeah, you can't find him on X. He's on Twitter only. Mike Golick Jr., thank you so much for making time for us. We'll see you for uh, to 8 to 10 Eastern on the DraftKingsNetwork.com, uh, otherwise on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us, and, and uh, we'll catch you again later. Sounds good. Appreciate you having me.